0: I went to tread on it and. Wow. And I, as a man of my age tends to wear things like Crocs. And so I was in my Crocs and I stamped on the wasp and the, 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 it has quite, sort of, quite a grooved sole. And so I trod on the wasp and I obviously got it on the bit of the groove, so it didn't touch it at all. But it literally, it went mentally. It came out the, un, from underneath my shoe and climbed into my croc. Oops. I climbed into my crocs. And so I I obviously panicked. And I was in the front room doing this, trying to kick the croc off. But if you know, crocs are brilliant because they have that heel strap. To stop that from happening. So I'm there, I'm kicking this thing. And my whole leg starts to cramp up. Uh, like, literally, and like, Pip was in the front room. And she said, are you right in there? I'm like, I'm dying. I eventually, I eventually get the croc off. And the wasp is in the croc still. Didn't sting me. And I sort of, sort of tipped it out and (laughs) bashed that thing. Really hard. Anyway. (laughs) So, the point of telling you that was, I'm at the age where I cannot do any exercise without a warm up. Like, if I have to do something, like, I, I, I just can't, I can't do things with my body anymore. And I'm telling you that, because I think conferences work in the same way. Stay with me, Paula. You're loving this, I know. I think it's really tough just to get going out of, like, from a cold start. I think it's tough for many of you that have had very busy weeks. Some of you, lots going on in life, that um, just to sort of dive off into the deep end is a bit of a shock, and you're not ready for it. You need a bit of a warm up. And this session is meant to be that. This session, I don't quite know how we got there, but this session is all about warming you up, like defrosting your hearts, getting you ready for all that God is going to do. I am super expectant for today. And so I really hope this is a helpful session. We're going to actually go to quite a difficult place in the Bible. But I believe the tone of today, or especially this first session is literally just getting our hearts in a place where we can hear from God. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Revelation 2. And the title of this preach is A Call to Return to Your First Loves. A Call to Return to Your First Loves. Revelation 2. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... And have not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for your word. We believe that in it... We find life. Uh, it feeds us. It brings us to Jesus. And I ask that you would use me uh, to help us understand what you're saying uh, to all of us in your name. Amen. Um, Pip and I uh, have now been married 18 years. Yeah, very good, very good. And uh, be really honest with you. Just before Christmas, we we hit a sticky patch. And. I think it's a combination of our busyness, a bit of pressure from work, uh, from both our works, uh, I think difficulties with parenting and sort of specific challenges that we have. And we ended up missing each other and we spent quite a few days having sort of to put things back together again. We, we, I didn't see it coming, to be honest, um, I was in my own little world, I was working hard, uh, I, was, I thought I was working quite hard in the relationship, we're actually on a date that I had arranged all by myself, and we're on like, yeah, thank you, thank you, <laughs> the bar's quite low, gents, isn't it, yeah, so it was lunchtime, we'd arranged this date, and uh, I was all there, Pip, what I love about Pip is she always laughs at my jokes, and... She wasn't laughing at any of my jokes and I took that as a sign, not all is good. And so we started talking and uh, someone once said this, marriage does not so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as confront you with yourself. And that was what was going on right there, is that as we started talking, we started to see what was really going on in our hearts. Pip began to talk about how unhappy she was and she didn't feel loved, she didn't feel appreciated and as we talked I realised that I actually felt quite similar and it was a very painful time vocalising some of our frustrations with one another and sort of just being able to communicate honestly the disappointment we feel and at that low point, we're both sort of saying to each other, "This is this is not the marriage we signed up for. We, this is not the vision of marriage that we have at all." And the issue was that we were not prioritizing each other. With the, the energy that we had, um, we because we were prioritizing other things, we didn't have enough sort of emotional reserve to love in a way that the sp- that our spouse enjoys being loved. So it's easy to love, isn't it, in the way that you feel loved. That's your sort of natural love language. And it doesn't really require too much effort. But it's much harder to, to love in a way that each other receive love. And despite our best intentions, uh, we were not prizing each other as we should. And I would say that we lost what Jesus is describing as our first love. So there was... Lots of energy, there was lots of effort and good intentions, but somehow we had lost each other in it. And that's the tone of the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's too, I hope it's not too irreverent to say that it's like Jesus is on a date night with his bride. And he's gently saying, You need to refocus, you need to, you need to. Love me in the right places. And it's, he calls this church to not lose their first loves and how to find it if it's been lost. John, he's the author. And I love this about the fact that Jesus chose John to convey this message. John was one of the 12 disciples, as you probably know. He was very, very close to Jesus. I think it's five times in the Gospels he's described as the one that Jesus loved. Now, I think that's funny because I imagine every single disciple thought they were that as well. Well, I'm the one that Jesus really loves. So good is the way that he loves us. But John says, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And over the course of some decades, uh, all the other apostles died brutal, bloody, uh, horrible deaths. And they actually tried repeatedly to kill John. And uh, John reportedly uh, was on one occasion, uh, they tried to boil him in a, a vat of oil, but he survived. And instead, they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And tradition tells us he lived alone in a cave. And it was in this secluded place that he was visited by Jesus. And Jesus gives him this letter. There are several letters to seven different churches. But the letter we're looking at is to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. And this letter is about the way that they should love. So let's just read it together. It's fascinating. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So each of the seven letters, they're addressed to the angel of each of the churches, angels are spiritual beings, and it seems like an angel is given to serve and protect these individual churches. Whether every church gets an angel, I don't know. But Revelation 2 and 3 seem to say that these angels exist for these churches. Who's the letter from? Well, we know it's Jesus, but look at how John writes down the description. He says this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And... Uh, this phrase could have been a criticism of the Roman Emperor uh, Domitian. Uh, Domitian declared that he uh, was Lord and God and Savior of the Roman world, and coins were minted uh, with his face on them—a bit like we'd have the, the Queen's head on them. But the coins were minted with uh, his his face on them, but on one side there was uh, it had him. Uh, sitting on a globe with seven stars. And so the people in Ephesus were walking around with these coins in their pocket, with the Roman emperor who's worshipped as God, sitting as God, ruling and reigning as sovereign with the seven stars. And maybe Jesus is just drawing some contrast with this uh, Domitian. This guy, yeah, he's he makes coins, but I'm actually the one who sits among the seven stars. I'm the one who rules over the creation. And this Domitian, he's he's a counterfeit God. He's not king. I am the king of kings. Jesus is also the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The churches in Revelation are seen as, as lampstands that people fill with light, breaking into to dark places. It's a picture of the church. And that word walks is, is equivalent to exercise dominion over. So Jesus is saying that he is the one To whom the church is accountable to, Jesus patrols the grounds of his church and is on spot when needed. And that's a sobering reality that Jesus is present with us right here, right now. He's walking amongst us to bring comfort and to correct us. And both those realities should change the way we live. So what does Jesus want to say to the church? Well, verse 2. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown. Weary. So Jesus, he wants to encourage the church. Uh, they're clearly working hard and they're faithfully persevering. Remember, this is like this is the church, the church that people look to in the New Testament as the example of when the early church really got it right. By the time Ephesus was built, and Paul went there thirty or forty years before this letter was written, I mean it was an outstanding church. Uh, This was the place that Paul stayed for sort of an extra couple of years. He would teach daily in the the Hall of Tyrannus. He managed to sort of build a church that had mission right at the heart of it. It was a church planting church. It was this resource style church. And the surrounding region was flooded with missionaries from this church. It was a great church and it had great foundations. And... Jesus says, "You're also discerning." They were able to. Um, they, they cannot tolerate wicked people, and you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. They they value character over gifting. They knew their doctrine, and even when they had encountered hardship, they had not grown weary. And you know what? I read that, and I think, "Wow, that's you know." I see our church families. You know, when I read that, faithful consistent serving and giving to build the church and reach the lost, character over competency, church planting, global mission. And wonderfully, that tells me that Jesus is walking around our churches and nothing, no work is hidden from God at all. You know, you may not be in the public eye, you may... Never get to really share something from the front. You may not let anyone, apart from your close friends, really know quite how you're living out your faith. But Jesus is walking amongst our churches, celebrating every good thing that he sees. I, I don't know if you've ever been celebrated over. In the early days of Mosaic, we went on well, probably second or third weekend away. Uh, there was still, I don't know, perhaps 100... 80 people in the church something like that and early days and there was uh a moment right at the end of the weekend um where the speaker said we want to take a moment at the end of today to just honor matt and pip and celebrate all they've done for us and it was this very humbling beautiful moment where everyone just sort of crowded around us and we felt this huge amount of just love and appreciation we were being celebrated for starting the church and that sort of stuff I don't know if you've ever been celebrated like that, but to think that Jesus wants to do that. And for some of you need to hear that this morning, that, you know, this is less about losing your first love. What you need to hear today is that Jesus sees what you do in the hidden place and he celebrates as he walks around. However, after praising their strength, Jesus told the Ephesians in, in verse four, but I have this Against you, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. And when I know someone has got something against me, I, you know, I struggle to live with that. So I have to, you know, I have to do something about it. And this is Jesus saying to the church: "There's a vine spot. There's something that has gone amiss here." Now it's interesting. No one, uh, in, you read all the commentaries on Revelation two. No one agrees to what the love that you had at first means. Because that's what Jesus was so upset about. Verse 4, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Some say it's about love for God. Uh, some say it's about their love for, for one another. Others say it's their love for the lost. And my feeling is when something like that is so unclear, it probably just means all of those things. <laughs> Jesus is saying, your love for me, your love for the poor, your love for unbelievers is not what it should be. You've got loads of hard work, you're putting tons of effort in, but your heart has grown cold. Or it is colder than when you first started following me. And so I must ask you, is this you today? Like unintentionally, have you lost your loves? I was speaking to someone a while ago. Uh, she said to me that she felt that she had lost some of her loves. And it was interesting unpacking that with her. And she said that there's now, because of losing the love, there's this disconnect between people and also God. Because she's just sort of shrank back. She was disillusioned with people. Ironically, she turned to judgment and criticism. So she mocked those that did love well and judges judged those that don't love well. And she found herself stuck in this awkward position where her heart was hardened and there was a lack of openness. Others I've met that have lost their love have just substituted hard work for the real deal, for the real thing. And God, you know this, God doesn't want an outward show of affection if it doesn't match our inward intention. That's religion to him. That's what the Pharisees did. It's external obedience without inward sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage we must read uh, on a morning like this. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast I do not and do not have love, I gain nothing. You know what that says to me? It says this. We can build the most sending focused churches ever. We can train people for local and global mission. We may even have the privilege one day of seeing indigenous church planting movements starting among unreached people groups. But if we do not have love, it counts for nothing. Nothing. And so can you just ask the Holy Spirit in these moments, have I missed you? In the busyness of life, Jesus says, verse 5, consider, consider how far you have fallen. Can you consider for a moment? Why don't you just close your eyes with me. Consider for a moment. <coughs> have I served but not loved those that you're serving? Have you lost something that you once had? Have you gone away from the Lord? Holy Spirit, come and just speak to us. In one sense, Lord, we know that we can always do better. But this is not about this. Just it's, it's come and bring your conviction, Lord. Great, you can open your eyes. You know, I find this a very scary question to ask. It's almost like easier, isn't it, just to keep going? And even though we complain about working hard, it's almost easier just to get your head down. And I don't want us to get totally introspective about this. But on one side, I think this message may be for a few of you in the room that have totally lost your loves and you're coming here today. You need a miracle for God to really bring you back. But my guess is for most of us, this is more... Of a bit like the date with Pip. It's that sort of feel where good intentions have resulted in you just missing him. And I take heart from the Apostle Paul that love is not an all or nothing affair. It's something that we can grow in. So he prays this in Philippians 1 verse 9. I pray that your love may abound. Still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And that's what I want as I get older. I want to love more with each year that I'm alive. I think that's the gist of what Jesus is calling us to. So let me just try and get really practical. Let me tell you about things that kill my love for Jesus and other people. And uh, I hope some of them may be relevant to you as well. You know, the greatest enemy of loving well... Uh, are nearly always things that are morally neutral. So the greatest enemies of us being able to love are, are usually things that morally are very neutral. So for me, too much social media and TV, like really, like especially when you start to use every spare moment, and I find I'm, I'm very all or nothing. I find it very difficult to do medium. And... I can find that there's no space left for God because every spare moment is like, oh, I've got a moment now and there I am. And I find that that prayer and empathy and compassion start to dissipate in my heart um, because I start caring too much about trivial things and the really important things have lost their place of priority. And so many times during the week, I will hear from people that are ill and sick and people will text each other and just say, you know, I'm ill, please pray for me. I find my capacity to engage with loving people in that moment is diminished the more social media and TV that I'm, in, that I'm into. So I can't, I just haven't got the room to really process that moment and to give it to God. And like similarly, another killer is busyness. No rest, no recovery, no, just no time for people. And I do find myself sometimes when I'm so busy and my capacity is full, if an opportunity comes to love, I can feel myself protecting my heart from it. It's almost like I just don't know if I've got it in me to go there. Believing lies that I'm not supremely loved by God makes me stingy with my own love. And if my marriage isn't strong, Because if things are not right between Pip and I, then I fret, I worry, and emotionally it's hugely draining. If you're married in the room, you you hopefully know that feeling of when things aren't right. Then suddenly that takes all your time. And rightly so sometimes, but I wonder whether uh, making sure we're investing there will release us to invest in other places. A lack of accountability Leads to a lack of honesty and blind spots in me. So the more I can talk about my lack of love, uh, the more I can't pretend what's really going on in my heart. And too much dreaming of acquiring stuff. Um, I I don't know if you're like me, but if I'm going to buy something, I really want to do a good job. So I haven't got much money to spend, and so I want to make sure the thing I buy is like recommended by 10 different consumer testing groups. And, you know, I've looked on every website and I just find I suddenly get consumed with that world. If you love anything in this world more than God, you will crush that object under the weight of your expectation. You hear that? That is dynamite. And it's not mine. (laughs) If you love anything in this world more than God you will crush that object under the weight of your expectation. That's why it's always so disappointing when you finally get that thing or when you get that relationship or whatever it is. It doesn't meet that need. It doesn't scratch that itch. And probably more scary, 1 John 2 verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. He's saying love for the world and love for God cannot exist in the same space. One needs to triumph. One needs to triumph. What about you? What kills passion for God and for others? So, how do you return? How do you return to your first loves? Well, verse 5 tells us consider how far you've fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. So, there's two things. Repent and do the things you did at first. So let me take the first one, repentance. You know, um, something happened to me a couple of weeks ago that made me think of uh, one of my first experiences of repentance. I was a teenager. I'd recently become a Christian. And I always took the bus to school. It was a big double-decker, double-decker bus, and there was a whole group of us that used to get the bus to school together. And for some reason, we fell into this thing of throwing things out of the window at people. That's what I did when I was a young teenager. And it'd be ice poles. It would be whatever we had. We would chuck them. And it was mainly when we went past the local girls' school. And we were like, we're going to get these girls. Anyway, the moment that came to mind for me uh, just recently was uh, when I found myself on the bus surrounded by my friends with probably the best weapon ever to use throwing from a bus just if you want to know uh, and that is a McDonald's chocolate milkshake oh. <laughs> and all my friends like, egging me all, go on go on, go on, go on and so I timed it perfectly sort of lent out the little slidey window through it the whole thing just like tumbled in but the lid didn't come off it was great it was all stayed in there and then it landed it was a perfect like shot because it landed in front of my victim victims with just in front of them and so the thing like hit the pavement and then because of the angle of delivery <laughs> the the chocolate arc was just perfect <laughs> Just went over. And I managed to cover the baby in the pushchair and the mum pushing it. I turned back into the bus. I turned back into the bus and my mate's were,
1: YES
0: And it hit me. I mean I I can remember looking out the window and just seeing the horror. On this mum's face. I mean, they were covered, and I, I I just, it's just a massive moment for me. Just a young kid. That's what I. That's that was what I did, and I just, I just made this in a vow. I am never, ever doing that again. You know that that horror. Charles Spurgeon says this: repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin a mourning that we've committed it, a resolution to forsake it, it is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what he once loved. And it was funny because uh, I was walking along the road last week and I saw these kids on the top of a bus and one of them had a can of Coke They he chucked at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was ready, I was watching. Um, there's a lesson there somewhere. <laughs> Sin when you're younger, it prepares you for adulthood or something like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: you're such a discerning bunch, it's great. Great. And I am praying... For life-giving conviction at our lack of love this morning, that leads us to repentance. Fear-based repentance means we hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance means we hate the sin. There's a massive difference. Fear-based repentance means we end up hating ourselves. But joy-based repentance means we hate the sin. Repentance is a joy. It's always a joy because we're finding ourselves back in the middle of God's best for us. That's what repentance is. It's that moment where we see we're not living in God's best for our lives. And so as we turn, John Piper says this, Repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and all our obedience. I love that. And I'm gently asking you today to quickly turn to God in preparation for all he wants to do today. And then lastly, do the things you did first. Consider how you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. The key issue here is discovering what stirs your affection for Christ and for others and asking how do I fill my life with those things? So what is it that stirs your passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth and filling your life with those things? For me, time with God reflecting on my identity in Christ and then enjoying it. So time reflecting on who my identity is in Christ and reflecting on it. So the security of Jesus' love for me uh, enables me to need less and to love more. So the more secure I am in the love of Christ, I need less and I can love more. It frees me. And so I remind myself, you know, I often just do this in my mind. I, I call to mind who I am in Jesus. The fact that I'm wrapped up in Jesus as Jesus takes me to the father. The father sees me, but sees Jesus. And so all the beautiful, wonderful attributes of Jesus get past to me and Through no nothing I've done, but the Father looks on me as He looks on His Son, and He delights in me. And He says, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." What applies to Jesus suddenly applies to me. Had someone once say, "The only person who dares wake up a king at three o'clock in the morning for a glass of water is a child," and that's the sort of access that we have. It's amazing. He's a father and he deals with rejection and us trying to prove ourselves and it frees us to be able to truly love others. He's not angry at us for our sin. He's angry at the impact of our sin. He's angry at the waste that happens when we lose our first loves. He loves you though. My friend Simon always talks about a moment where he uh connected deeply with who he was before the father when he attended a conference a bit like this and uh, he spotted a grandfather who was holding his grandson, 12-year-old grandson, in his arms because the son had cerebral palsy. And this is a boy, he just couldn't, you know, he had a special wheelchair with sort of that supported his head, uh, you know, w- w- wasn't even control of his own dribble. You know, it's just nothing there. And the grandfather picked him up during a worship time and was just sort of holding him in his arms. And he was, he, he, he as Simon sort of came next to him. He could hear uh, this grandfather just saying, I love you. God loves you. You're a really special boy. God loves you, I love you, you're a really special boy. And just looking into his eyes, just holding him, God loves you, I love you, you're a really special boy. And incredible moment between grandfather and grandson. But my friend said that it was like hammer blows to his own heart as he saw himself uh, in terms of someone who brings nothing to God who, you know, we don't we don't bring anything to the table, yet God picks us up and treasures us as sons and daughters. God loves you. I love you. You're a really special boy, really special girl. And we need that sort of revelation, don't we, in our hearts of the truth of who we really are in Christ and the position we have before the Father because it frees us to not need that stuff from people and it releases us to give that stuff to people. So time with God, reflecting on my identity in Christ and enjoying it. Secondly, time with people who care about their spiritual lives. I love hearing about radical decisions to love Jesus. If your heart is feeling cold, get with people that love Jesus more than you. Have them encourage you and stir them. Stir your heart. And then lastly, ask God to help me love and then not waiting till I feel loving. Actions of love lead to feelings of love. Actions of love lead to feelings of love, not the other way around. And so something I've been doing recently is trying to pray several times every day for God to share his love for the lost of Leeds with me. And it's just like an active prayer that as I walk around and spend time with God, I want you to share your love. But then I'm not trying to wait till all those bubbly feelings of love Come but stepping out and doing acts of love at the same time. So I, I believe Jesus is walking around this morning, encouraging many of you that are working so hard. Uh, he's noticing every good endeavour. But he's also asking us to make sure that we've not lost sight of our first loves. That we're growing in love. And if that's you, then very quickly we can repent. Repentance is a joy. Because it's that moment of conviction where God says, no, come come back to me. Come back to me. There's more for you. And I hope just in the remaining time that we've got this morning, uh, we get a chance to do that. Respond to God. Pray for one another. And get in that position of openness for how God wants to stir us. Is that okay?
1: Let's just just stay in this place of worship, of response. And as we do, uh, just give a few words of encouragement, uh, both encouragement for us to respond, encouraging us to respond. And in doing so, we take encouragement from that. Um as Matt was speaking
3: and just as we as he ended, um, I had a, a picture in, in my mind of a, a closed fist. If you feel comfortable, do you just want to close your eyes and just picture a closed fist? And um I felt like Jesus was saying for many of us we've we've got our fists closed around something. And you might know what it is, or God wants to reveal it to you. Um and I felt like Jesus was saying there's an invitation this morning to allow him to to loosen our hands, and some of the things that will be in our hands are very, very large, important things for us, things that are good things, things that we don 't really want to let go of. But I felt like Jesus was saying, I just want to slip my hand into your hands and interlock fingers like, like you do. I remember the first time I held my wife's hand on a date and um, I felt like Jesus was just saying, I just want to interlock your fingers with mine again to, to remind you just how good I am. The thing that was there doesn't compare to me, however big and important that thing felt. Jesus was saying, I, I want to invite you afresh to, to see me and see my goodness And my great love for you. Um, So can I just pray that we'd respond to that invitation from Jesus. Jesus, there are things that we are clinging on to. Holding on to very, very tightly. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, you just come and speak to us now what those things are. And I pray that you would give us bravery and courage to hear what you're saying because I feel like for some people, those things are very close to your heart. So Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us. And I feel like Jesus is saying, there's a moment for you to say, it, it's yours, Jesus. Whatever that thing is, I'll give it back to you. If you really want me to, I'll give it back to you. Jesus, we just invite you to to come and interlock your fingers again with ours, to hold us again, to remind us that you're so much bigger than the things that we're holding on to. You're so much better. Remind us of the love that you have for us. Remind us of the joy that we're saved, that we know you. Holy Spirit, please come and pour the love of the Father into our hearts afresh, that we are your children And you love being with us and you love speaking tenderly the truths about who we are into our ears. And those things that we think are so important, Lord, I pray that you just let them drift away. Take us through the pain. Take us to the joy of being with you again, Father. Amen.
2: Yeah, there was just a phrase that Chris used earlier when he um, was encouraging us to see ourselves as purchased again by Christ. And um, I was reading yesterday with a story of Hosea and Gomer. And Hosea's is um, given the task of going and marrying a prostitute, marrying someone, an adulteress, someone who will not give her affections to her husband, who runs around to all these other places and um, it's the story playing out in this relationship where Hosea is acting out prophetically what God feels towards his people. And there's a scene towards the end where Gomer has um, run away from, her, from Hosea. She's no longer in his household. Um, she's gone to all her other lovers and none of them want her. They've all rejected her. And then she's sold uh, she's put up for auction as a slave because literally nobody wants her. She's no good. And she's standing there naked, exposed, her, Im- her immorality on show for everyone to see. Dejected, rejected, totally broken, realizing the position that she's in. She's totally open to the mercy of others because she has not valued the love of her husband. And Jose is instructed by God go and bid for your wife. I want you to purchase her again. And it's a picture of all of us. It's a picture of me. God sees it all. And he chooses to purchase me. And he receives me not as a slave. Because Hosea, he doesn't take her as a slave and lead her away naked and put her into service. He clothes her with a robe. He covers up her her nakedness. He acts towards her as a husband, a lover. I love you. I don't want you to be naked anymore. I don't want you to be exposed anymore. I want you to be loved. And cherished and known. And brought back into relationship with me. I want you to know love. I want you to know freedom. I set you free. I've purchased you but you're free. Free to know love. Free to know wholeness. Free to know forgiveness. Free to know me. And my love for you. It is outrageous. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Father.
1: Just let that sink in for a minute. Let that love that God has for you, that his first love for you, really sink in. We're going to have an opportunity to pray for each other now. And I just wonder uh, if you have responded in any way uh, I'm aware that most of the room may now put their hands out in order to receive, but if you've responded in any way this morning, or want to encounter God again, want Him to be that first love again, why don't we just, all of us, just reach out to God, ask God, and then we're going to turn to each other and we're going to pray for each other, for the filling of the Holy Spirit, knowing Christ. Enjoying the Father. We'll pray for each other while the band kind of lead us out of this session. Lord, you have purchased. Lord, our journey through repentance, Lord, is through the blood of Jesus. Wonderful. Wonderful. You're so good. You're so good. And Lord, we just put you front and center again in our lives. As we pray for each other now, Lord, we ask, Lord, lead us, anoint us, Lord, and as we pray, we pray that there will be a coming of the Holy Spirit on each of us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.